As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter 1. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy-to-read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Ask N.T. Wright Anything podcast. Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Ask N.T. Wright Anything podcast with me, Justin Briley, apologetics and theology editor for Premier and brought to you as ever in partnership with SBCK and N.T. Wright Online. Today is a special edition because we're responding to the coronavirus outbreak. That means today's show is coming to you from my home and Tom's home as well. I've been recording with him uh, an edition where rather than asking your questions, it's my questions really, but I'm sure the same kinds of questions many people are asking themselves around this pandemic. So we'll be hearing that very shortly. Uh, We've got uh, lots of episodes actually that we've already recorded in studio that we'll be making sure to continue to broadcast and put out on the podcast in future weeks. So do look out on your podcast provider for uh, more episodes of the Ask NT Write Anything podcast and you can find videos as well including today's show over on our social media uh, we tend to use the unbelievable channel uh, to put out uh, ask nt write anything videos so uh, if you want to go over to the facebook page of unbelievable you'll find today's uh, show on video you'll also find it across the other platforms of uh, premier christian radio as well on facebook twitter and elsewhere as well as the youtube channel for unbelievable where we host these videos too so um, you can find more details uh, from the podcast info uh, wherever you get your podcast from just check the info and it'll be there and of course you can go to askntwrite.com for more information uh, to get more details about uh, the show to ask a question yourself by subscribing and of course we've got the competition going on for three signed copies of paul a biography You'll be sending those out by the end of april you simply need to be subscribed registered at the website and you'll be automatically entered into that prize draw of course uh, one big announcement i should let you in on is that sadly we have had to inevitably postpone this year's unbelievable conference 2020 which was due to include that live audience edition of the ask nt write anything uh, podcast so uh, we are postponing that till next year all current ticket holders are going to be uh, in contact with and make sure that they know what's happening and we'll once we've announced a new date uh, all tickets can be transferred to that date and of course anyone who can't make the new date uh, that we managed to come up with uh, will of course be refunded so uh, that's uh, the sad but inevitable news uh, it is just one of the many knock-on effects of this uh, coronavirus pandemic so uh, we'll keep you up to date with that as we go along for now uh, let's get into to today's special edition of the show with Tom Wright. Tom. 
Tom, thank you very much for joining me uh, today to talk a little bit about uh, the coronavirus pandemic, uh, how Christians are responding, some of the theological issues and pastoral issues that are coming out of this. Um, this, of course, is affecting everyone, uh, including you and Maggie. Uh, tell us a bit about how the coronavirus is affecting your day-to-day life and how things have changed for you, Tom. Well, things have been changing pretty rapidly. I mean, it's only a week or eight days ago that um, we were able to go out and go to the shops and, yeah, take a little bit of precautions, maybe wash your hands more when you come in, but uh, nothing too drastic. Um, and then last uh, Sunday, which was Mothering Sunday, we um, we planned to have our uh, closest fam- bits of family around. Uh, the grandchildren were eager to see their grandmother particularly, and then we decided actually they would stay out in the garden and we would talk to them through the kitchen window. So we, we organized in advance a treasure hunt for the kids in the garden. And then they arrived, went into the garden and we observed from the kitchen window all this going on. And I think the kids were, were, were a bit puzzled, but I think they realized, no, this makes sense. Dad and mum have explained it to us. And so it's, it's little things like that which bring it home to you that the sort of ordinary interactions that you would take for granted suddenly, uh, no, we better not do that. And for us, it's um, uh, the particular thing is that uh, Maggie suffers from asthma and has mild angina and type 2 diabetes. And all of those are little triggers that one has heard um, might be more at risk from coronavirus. So even though I am, please God, a reasonably healthy person in my my old age, you know, we're both over 70 now. So we're in that category as well. um, Then uh, I could, if I simply happened to pick up the virus um, when I was out shopping or something, I might pass it on to Maggie without even realizing I was having it myself. So I'm taking that really quite seriously. Um, We live right in the middle of Oxford and we are fortunate in that though we have a a, a small back garden, which you can walk around in about 20 seconds, um, the college right opposite us is New College and we are living right opposite their gate. And they have graciously said we can go and walk around their garden, which is much bigger than our back garden. And that's been a real relief just to be able to get out of the house um, and not see anybody because there's this beautiful garden with some lovely magnolia trees and still late daffodils and so on um, with nobody there. And so we've been enjoying that um, once a day uh, the, the last few days and plan on going, going on doing so. But it's things like this, which you would normally say just take for granted, which suddenly loom very large. And that sort of shifts the balance of everything. And I had to go out this morning. Um, Boris Johnson says we're allowed to go for one bike ride a day. So I went round on my bike and without without talking to anybody, picked up my mail from college um, and made that my exercise for, for, for the day before we then go for the walk later. It, it, but again, having to think through things like this that you would normally just do automatically. That, that's really a challenge. And I'm finding now that I'm reading stuff, I'm working on stuff, um, and everything I do is being colored by... Uh, oh my goodness, that would mean going near somebody. That would mean mm-hmm. something. That would mean having to wash your hands. And so we're all internalizing these sudden imperatives in a way which is really crowding out one's kind of emotional reactions to all sorts of other things. So it's just very odd. And uh, uh, I, I said to somebody recently, it's like a strange sort of Lent. 
um, in Lent you give up this or you take up that. Well, um, we're not just giving up sort of whiskey or chocolate or whatever, and not just taking up reading some improving book. We're, we're giving up all kinds of things, and we're taking up all kinds of things, regular hand washing, wiping door handles, and that sort of thing. Um, but the problem is that whereas with Lent we say, well, there's three weeks and then it'll be Good Friday and Easter, um, we do not know when the if there will be a Good Friday moment when you know, the death toll will rise to some, something horrendous, and let alone whether there will be an Easter moment in two months, in four months, in, in, in a year. We just don't know. And that is really scary. All sorts of things one takes for granted are just absolutely put on ice. And I, I, I suspect that up and down the country, lots of people are just scratching their heads and feeling this is a very puzzling moment. Anyway, that's, that's how it is for us right now. It, hugely helpful in a sense just to hear those kinds of sentiments that obviously everyone's in the same boat right now and and the the real challenge i think for many people is the fact that their you know their regular routine has completely changed they're adapting to very different circumstances and so on and and for me i suppose one of the knock-on effects of all of this quite apart from those who potentially are going to be suffering from the coronavirus is is just simply the effects of social isolation um now, for someone who is effectively self-isolating, who has to be completely cut off, and that includes most of us these days, we will all be encouraged to, to stick to yeah. just our family unit if possible. Um, what What is your advice to someone to keep them engaged, spiritually nourished, when perhaps they relied on their faith community, yeah. the church, and so yeah. on for that? that? That is a real, real problem. We humans, in general, are designed to be... Uh, social beings. There are, there's a very small number of people who seem to be able to do without social interaction for extended periods of time, but most of us that's not the case and um, uh, most of us our social interaction goes much much wider naturally than the people who live in the same house as us. There was a letter in the paper yesterday, some, some woman saying um, I've been around the house all day and there's this strange man who, who, who's here all the time and he says he's married to me. <laughs> this is just, we're not used to being like this. But I think particularly from a Christian point of view, maintaining spiritual disciplines, I mean, there are those of us who have a lifelong habit of um, having an extended time of Bible reading and prayer in the morning by ourselves, and that can continue, and maybe this would be a good time to extend that start it for the first time for those or, who may have absolutely had that habit. absolutely yeah. to start habits like that for the first time and maybe um midday prayer and maybe evening prayer compline whatever there are there is space in the day now um which maybe there wasn't before to say okay at noon we will stop everything and we will read a psalm and say a prayer and say the lord's prayer or whatever it is um, or at evening time before dinner or maybe after dinner, we would read Compline or evening prayer or something. And these things are readily available online, by the way. You can get all kinds of prayer book resources online. So it's not a matter of, oh, dear, I don't have the book. Um, no excuse. It's all there readily available online as long as everybody's Internet keeps working and as long as the electricity keeps working and all those things. Um, but that, that, would be, that would be really good. And I think particularly... Um, as we hear the news um, looking around the world, uh, to look out beyond ourselves, to think about people in northern Italy um, facing a lot of people dying, to think about people in Iran, particularly our Christian brothers and sisters in Iran, who've been facing terrible struggles because of restrictions anyway and because of um, all the things that have been going on in terms of sanctions. Um, and so when we read a psalm of lament, 
um, actually to have before our eyes and our hearts people either we know or we've seen on the television or whatever who are in real, real trouble, much worse trouble than just having to stay indoors all day in Britain, um, and, and to share the lament with them. Um, and I'll maybe say more about lament in a minute, because I think it's very, very important to, to relearn the discipline of lament at a time like this. You're a historian of the early church, Tom. Um, what would you say is the response we've seen in past years, in past millennia, when the church have responded to pandemics? This obviously isn't the first time. It's the first time we're so connected, in a sense, in, in our response. But, but what, what has the church traditionally done in times yes, of crisis? Yes, um, the, the, the received wisdom, and this is <clears throat> all written up in various um, church historians. I mean, think of Rodney Stark's book, The Rise of Christianity. I think he has a whole chapter on this. Um, that, that quite frequently in the ancient world, you would have a plague striking a city or a whole region, and particularly uh, a low-lying city, very damp climate, maybe um, mosquitoes or other bugs who are carrying um, disease, maybe rats, etc. Um, think back long before the early church to the great plague in Athens in the 420s BC, famously written up by Thucydides because it was during the Peloponnesian War and Pericles, the great leader himself, died of plague in the middle of that. And I think we have forgotten that actually plagues like famines and earthquakes and so on are simply part of the way the world is. Um, we post-enlightenment people have got used to thinking that if anything goes wrong, there's probably a pill for it and we, uh, some, somebody is responsible for making sure that we don't have to suffer and that we'll get better soon. And actually, most of history has not been like that. And actually, this has never been seen by Christians as a problem in terms of, oh my goodness, is God out of control? Or is this the sign of the end times or whatever? It's just, this is normal life. Like um, uh, getting illnesses is normal anyway, like cancer is normal anyway, like finally dying is normal anyway. Um, and in most times of history, most people have not lived beyond childhood, let alone beyond the age of, sort of 15 or 20, let alone to be the age that I am now, you know. Um, even if I dare say so, you, Justin, um, most people didn't live to, live to your young age, let alone to my old age. Um, and so we have been cosseted um, against the realities. And so what would happen when a plague would strike a city in, say, the second or third or fourth century? We don't have much evidence from the first century, but in the um, immediately subsequent centuries would be that the Christians took this as a call to look after people, to nurse people. Any Christian doctors would say, right, this is what I'm here for. Um, I have to stay and nurse people. And the rich and respectable and the pagan doctors would take to the hills. They would get out of town fast rather than be caught in this plague. Leave that lot to die. That's what they're going to do. And the Christians would stay and nurse people. And that is actually one of the reasons why people became Christian because they looked at these funny Christians who they'd always thought were weird for all the usual reasons. Um, and they said, oh, why did you do that? Why did you come and nurse us? We're not your family. We're not your, 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 your tribe, as it were. And they would say, it's because we follow this man called Jesus who went about doing good and touching lepers and touching corpses and risking uncleanness in order to bring health. And so, of course, some of the Christians would die and others wouldn't, but... Um, that would be able to or come through an illness and out the other side. And this was an extraordinary witness. Now, I'm not saying that therefore all Christians should rush out and find coronavirus patients 
and, and uh, lay hands on them or whatever. There may be some who are called to that kind of ministry. Obviously, this doesn't mean that we can ignore public health instructions. And it's very interesting, of course, the medical profession in the early church uh, was doing the best science they could as well as the best praying they could. And this isn't an either or. Um, we need both. We need the wisdom that comes from prayer and the compassion for our neighbors, and we need the best science that is available. And that the Jewish and Christian traditions have always been very clear about that. So um, th there's, there's a kind of a mixed reaction, but I do want to, to, to hedge it around by saying that th this would not be seen as something unusual. Yes, it's pretty terrible, but um, there were famines that affected the whole world. We read about them in Acts. And so what did the church in Antioch do when they heard there was a famine on the way? They knew that the Christians in Jerusalem were very poor and were being persecuted. So their instant reaction was to raise money and send people to go and help. And whatever the equivalent of that is, that's what we should be doing around the world. And I think particularly of our Christian brothers and sisters in China, in Iran, they have a hard time anyway. And we are their brothers and sisters. and We need to do everything we can, starting with praying and working out from there for their sake, as well as the people on our doorsteps who we can still help. Obviously, that raises the whole much larger and, frankly, a question that we'll struggle to really deal with properly uh, just in this recording. But, but that question of the problem of suffering and evil and why does God allow something like coronavirus, uh, pandemics to exist? Why, if he is a good God, has he created a world in which these kinds of things can occur? I mean, again, huge theological question. But, but if you were to give us you know, your five minute take on it, where, where would you begin with that kind of a question? I, I would begin with Jesus' tears at the tomb of his friend. Jesus goes to Bethany knowing that Lazarus has, has died and uh, uh, Jesus knows what he is intending to do. <clears throat> he is having prayed to the Father, he is going to raise Lazarus from the dead, but he comes to share the grief of Mary and Martha and the village and Jesus himself weeps at the tomb of his friend. And John's Gospel is very clear that when we're looking at Jesus, we are seeing what and who the true God really is. John says, no one has ever seen God, the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father. He has made him known. Um, and so often, we, particularly in the post-Enlightenment rationalist world, we Christians have tried to say, oh, if I was God, I would do it like this. Um, or supposing God is omnicompetent and omniscient, then this is what he ought to do. And we have this picture of God, some sometimes called a classical theological picture of God, and then we try and fit Jesus into it. It can't be done. Paul insists that you mustn't do it that way. John doesn't want you to do it that way. Um, the, the letter to the Hebrews is, is going against you when you do it that way. Only when you look at Jesus do you see who God is. And the answer is God knows the pain and the sorrow of the world, and God has come with his own grief to share in that. Go back to Genesis when God looks at the wickedness of the world and it grieves him to his heart. And that note of the grief of God is then shared with God's people, with Jesus himself as the archetypal human being who is the image of God, but then by the Spirit with the praying and lamenting people of God. And so the, the bit that goes with John 11, the tears of Jesus, in Paul in Romans 8, is when Paul says that the Spirit groans within us as we ourselves are groaning within the pain of the world. 
Paul has what we call a high pneumatology, a high doctrine of the Spirit. As far as Paul is concerned, the Spirit is the personal presence of the living God, living within us, loving within and through us. And the Spirit is groaning, and the Father is listening to that. And we are shaped according to the pattern of the Son. So when people say, oh, God surely would do this or shouldn't do that or whatever. I want to say, which God are we talking about? The triune God of the New Testament, the Father, Son, Spirit God of the New Testament is the God who comes and gets his, his hands dirty, in fact, his hands nailed to the cross in order to share the pain. This is a great mystery. It's not what we in the modern rationalistic West would like to think about particularly. But so when then I read the Psalms and the Psalms of lament, I realize that God has given to his people the means of godly lament, saying, why is this going on? What's it all about? And sometimes, yes, those Psalms then turn a corner and come out into the light, but sometimes they don't. Psalm 89 goes the other way. It starts very cheerfully. And then halfway through, it says, oh, dear, it's all gone horribly wrong. Where are your loving mercies, O Lord? And the psalm leaves it at that. And the psalm before that, Psalm 88, which is a, a self-isolating psalm, if you like, ends up, lovers and friends, you have put far from me, and darkness is my only companion. As I pray Psalm 88 right now, I'm thinking about people for whom self-isolation really is a, a, like a little death, a matter of darkness. But I want to say that's the point at which we find out who God really is, the God of all compassion who comes to be with us in that darkness. That's where we have to start, not with this big rational picture of if I were God, I would organize the world differently. Sorry, we're in the world that God has made, Unfortunately, we know the human face of God in Jesus and the breath of God, which is the Holy Spirit. I mean, one, one perspective that I found helpful myself when dealing with those big questions of God and suffering and natural evil especially is, is that um, it sometimes helps to not necessarily see it simply as, well, God is simply this omnipotent being that could simply plug in whatever he wants to in this world because God has created this world with a certain amount of freedom, both in the human realm and the spiritual realm. And, and to some extent, you know, a lot of people would say coronavirus and so on is a result of a world that's, you know, fallen, that is, uh, you know, out of kilter with the way it will be one day when God restores and renews all things. And, and in that sense, I often feel that, that rather than saying, why doesn't God do something about this? As you say, God is already doing something about it, but yeah. we are part of that, that, you know, what Paul talks about in, in Ephesians, that, that battle that is going on in the heavenly yeah. places. And, yeah. and that can apply to something like a, a, a virus pandemic, e- even though... Absolutely. It's, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's two quite different things which, which the New Testament simply holds in tension and which I think is part of what it means that God has already launched his kingdom on earth as in heaven with the resurrection of Jesus and the gift of the spirit, resurrection and ascension of Jesus and the gift of the spirit. But yes, the battle continues and every aspect of death, um, whether it's the sin that leads to death or the death that comes from sickness or whatever, every aspect of death is a sneer in the face of God. It's a way of saying your creation doesn't really work, etc. And God will not forever be mocked by that sneer. That's really important to say. When the psalmist celebrates 
that God is coming to judge the world, which means to put it right. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his truth and the, the trees in the field will clap their hands and the rivers will shout for joy and the, the sheep and the animals will be celebrating. And as for us humans, we will be wild with delight. Now, that's the good news. That is the gospel. When people talk about preaching the gospel, the gospel is rooted in God's promise to put everything right at last. It then comes into focus with Jesus, through whom God does the putting right thing close up and personal. And then the believing in the gospel for us today is believing that something has happened in Jesus as a result of which the world is a different place even though I am still heading for death, I am still a sinner, etc. But in the spirit, I am enabled to live at that overlap of the ages. That's what we're called to, not to cheap theories about what God must be doing in this crisis or whatever, but simply to say, okay, this is actually part of the downside of normal. We shouldn't have thought it was abnormal. Of course, it's unusual to have a pandemic like this made possible by our multiple air travel and everything else that goes on. They couldn't really easily have pandemics in the ancient world because people tended to stay where they were. Mm -hmm. um, this is the downside of the upside that we can hop on planes normally and be the other side of the world in half a day. Um, but so so we, we've got to get used then to thinking more biblically about how God is and who God is within his world. Here in the UK, we're just starting to see that upward curve. Um, and, you know, all the advice, of course, is about flattening that curve and trying to make sure that the health system isn't overwhelmed and so on. But inevitably, this will result in a number of deaths. Um, and for many church leaders um, involved in giving pastoral care, counselling, dealing with grieving families, that's going to be especially difficult, I think. And of course, many more funerals potentially are, are going to be uh, have to be happen. And obviously, in very difficult circumstances, the coronavirus means, for instance, that at many points, loved ones can't be with their relatives when they're in their last moments because of yeah. the, 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 you know, uh, the restrictions and so on. Um, funerals will inevitably have to be very small um, localized yeah, yeah. affairs and so on so all of that makes pastoral care that much more difficult and that that much more stressful to deliver for for people on the ground any advice absolutely. really absolutely and i i've just been thinking about that i mean we we have uh, i was saying to maggie the other day pretty soon somebody we know is going to get this disease and it's happened a couple of days ago uh, somebody who's a close personal friend we've heard from his spouse uh, his wife um, that he's in hospital in intensive care. We, we don't know um, the exact situation, but that brings it home and you, you, you just in prayer, you think, Lord, well, so what then? Supposing he dies, then what sort of a funeral could there be? And surely uh, I, I want to get a message to him. I want to be there with him. I want to pray with him. And, and no, you can't. The hospital won't let you in. Um, and this is, this is really unprecedented. Um, uh, and and very very difficult. I mean, I, I suppose one can only say it's like what has often happened, alas, in some of the great wars. I mean, I was reading the other day a book by a guy who was a Japanese POW during the Second World War, and he was a doctor and saw many many people that he knew, including other medical professionals in the Japanese POW camps, simply dying without any hope of consolation, without any funeral or anything, just being thrown in a pit somewhere. Um, and, and this, I think, that's something, again, it's a sort of second-order lament, that we should lament the fact that we can't do our ordinary lamenting. And then I think we have to be 
prepared for the fact that when this hue and cry dies down, whether that's in three months or six months or a year, then there will be a huge wave of uh, displaced grief and, and that that will come out in uh, difficult ways. Grief, even when you have a proper funeral, when you can say goodbye to someone you love, grief still comes in waves and it's difficult to cope with and it has spin-off results. This is going to be big and we need to prepare ourselves and church leaders need to prepare themselves for that. At the meantime, thank God for the internet, which has so many downsides, but the upside is that we can do sharing, um, as you and I are at the moment on a Zoom meeting or a Skype meeting or whatever. Um, we can do that. Um, I was talking to a friend in America the other day who said uh, that she's been to several Zoom parties where, um, you know, a couple of dozen friends all get together and there they all are and, and they're talking and waving and so on. And that may sound a bit odd and silly, but maybe it's the kind of oddness we need to embrace right now, be creative about it. I did watch a service broadcast in this diocese on Sunday morning, broadcast by the bishop and the dean from the cathedral. Obviously, there were a few other people there, all keeping a safe distance, but that was something they were able to, to hold on. Here was the liturgy, here were the prayers, here were the readings, um, here was a communion service. Um, but we weren't able to partake physically, but we could do it visually, which is, of course, what they used to do in the Middle Ages when they had plagues and so on in the Middle Ages. People maybe, or if there were, were people suffering from serious sickness, they had to stay outside the church and people created sight lines, little peep holes through which they could see the liturgy going on. And we in the post-Reformation West think, oh, that's so medieval. Well, that's what it was. But maybe we need to recover some of that ancient wisdom, that being able to see things, even if we can't touch or be touched, um, maybe that's better than, than nothing at all. And so I think there's a lot of, of fresh wisdom needed at precisely that point. I couldn't agree more, Tom, um, in the sense that, uh, you know, I think churches, if they ever weren't engaged in the Internet, now, now this will force them to, to do yep. so. Um, yep. Our own experiences, as you know, my wife's a minister of the United Reformed Church, and right. we obviously, like many churches last weekend, were unable to hold a service in our, in our church. So, And because we are personally as a family currently in self-isolation, there's a couple of coughs, no, no major illnesses, sure. thankfully, sure. but um, nonetheless following the guidelines about, you know, keeping out. Um, the we we did literally a homemade church from our front room and right. we put this out on our facebook live uh sort of post on our, our, our facebook channel and so on and what the the extraordinary thing was you know we maybe gather you know 150 to 200 people on a sunday morning this post has has had about three and a half thousand views wow and yeah. and and some of the most unlikely people coming <laughs> out of the woodwork to watch it and comment on it and say that they felt inspired and, and encouraged by by the message and so that's on. wonderful and 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 so inevitably, I mean, just as we start to, to draw this together, on a note of hope, in a sense, can you imagine what God might be able to do through even something as awful as the coronavirus crisis? Yes, I mean, the God we believe in, who we see in Jesus, is precisely the God who takes the very worst thing that can possibly happen uh, and transforming it into something extraordinary and brilliant and loving and good and creative. Uh, and so the death of Jesus is the paradigm for that. And it seems to me, rather than try to say, oh, maybe God will do this or that, though I do believe God will do creative things through it, I, I, I find myself wanting to say, 
And, and this, for me, as an ordained Anglican priest, this is part of what it means to celebrate the Eucharist. And I'm actually wondering whether I ought to be celebrating the Eucharist at home, um, uh, weekly or daily or whatever. It's not something I've been doing because I go to church for, for that. Um, but maybe we should. But, but what I found again and again in pastoral ministry is that all the bad things that are going on in the community where I've ministered, where, wherever it's been, I can't solve them. I can't say what God is doing, but I can gather them up. And when I come to the Lord's table, I can leave them there because the bread and the wine are the signs and, and physical symbols of the fact that in the death of Jesus and then in his risen life, God takes all the brokenness of the world and holds onto it in his love and his grief. And that our part is not to say, now, God, it's time you did this and this and this. Our part is just to say, okay, thank you. We'll leave it there and we'll trust that good things will come out, even though at the moment we can't second guess what they might be. We can't second guess them. One one guess I would hazard, I suppose, is that it is in times of crisis that people realise what is, what is really important, you know. Oh, yeah, and, absolutely. And, uh, and that is obviously relationships first and foremost for most people. Absolutely. Uh, you know, we can't go out in our, you know, we can't enjoy most of the things we've accumulated at this point uh, no, in the ways no, we used to. Absolutely. I mean, a small but significant example, um, my grandchildren are now being homeschooled by their parents. Um, well, well, that's a, that's a, an interesting turn up for the books. And uh, they're getting stuck in and they're figuring out how to do it. And this morning we got a lovely little WhatsApp message which was a seven-year-old granddaughter reciting a poem that she'd just learned. And we probably wouldn't have seen her reciting a poem had it not been that we're isolated, they're isolated, and that's what they're doing. And I think there may be many different types of connection which are being made there, which may be very creative and fruitful. And we may look back, you know, maybe that's one of the things when I'm even older and grizzlier than I am now, that I will have beside me and, and it'll be a happy memory. And maybe there will be good memories as well as really, really sad ones coming out of this. I think what we're all wondering is how ultimately this pandemic may change the world in significant yeah. ways going forward. Absolutely. And obviously we will respond as we meet those challenges. But Absolutely. And, and what it'll do to the ecological crisis. I mean, uh, people have been saying cheerfully, well, at least the skies are clear over Wuhan now, whereas they were polluted before. Well, yes, but at what cost? But yeah. will, uh, I was thinking about this in relation to the previous crisis, the, the global financial crisis in 2008, when uh, and people have said, you know, oh, well, our government gave a great lead to the world, etc. Well, it didn't, it didn't. Um, the thing that really depressed me, and I was in the House of Lords for the debate uh, about it in November 2008, November, December, whenever it was, um, is that the main concern of everybody was how to get the banks doing business again. In other words, yeah, we'll wait for two seconds and we'll um, give those naughty bankers a wrap over their knuckles, but then let's get it back as quick as we can. And so the lesson was, we're not learning a lesson. We just want to go back and carry on doing the same stuff. Now, wouldn't it be wonderful if this time we could all say, no, actually, we're not going to go back and do the same stuff. Maybe we should be flying a lot less. And I speak as one who is a frequent flyer. Maybe we should be more Benedictine about saying stability is what matters. Maybe we need to stay where we are and, and resist the temptation to go rushing around the world or even the city or even the country. Um, there are all sorts of knock-on effects of this. And again, I'm not second-guessing them. I'm just saying maybe, perhaps, whatever. Yeah. And in prayer, 
and through the presence of Jesus in the sacrament, then I think we should be able to find wisdom to feel our way forwards in the dark, because that's what we're doing right now. And as we close, Tom, I wonder if you would pray for anyone watching or listening uh, who may be at this point anxious or fearful um, and pray for the church as well as we seek to respond carefully pastorally and, and with wisdom to this situation yes. okay let's pray gracious father on the cross your son prayed my god my god why did you abandon me i want to pray just now for all the people around the world who find themselves saying that whether or not they know that text find themselves feeling that they feel abandoned by you, by their fellow human beings, by family who can't see them, whatever. Father, in the name of your son, Jesus, and in the power of his spirit, will you come and be with them, be with all of us, be with your suffering world at this time. Give us fresh resources of courage and faith and hope. Give to our leaders worldwide the wisdom the scientific wisdom, the faith wisdom that they need to say the right things, to encourage people. We pray especially for the doctors and nurses and all the medical professionals and researchers looking for vaccines. We pray that ways forward may be found, that unnecessary deaths may be stopped, and that proper care may be given to those who are now inevitably dying. We pray for all those who are seriously ill right now, finding breathing difficult, finding maybe they don't have the sufficient supply of oxygen, whatever it is. Gracious Lord, be near them, be with them. Bring good out of this trouble. And Father, as you have promised that one day the earth shall be full of the knowledge and glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, give us even in the present time a foretaste, a glimpse of that and help us to live by that glimpse, to live in hope, and to become in our turn people of hope, people through whom hope can come to your wounded and waiting world. We pray it all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's show. A little bit of a different one, obviously more rough and ready than our studio level production. Uh, but we have got lots of those episodes actually uh, coming to you in the pipeline. We've got some recorded stuff from our studio that we'll be making sure goes out on the podcast in future weeks. Uh, the next one we're due to broadcast actually is going to be the uh, evening with N.T. Wright that was recorded in London a few weeks ago. This was before there were major restrictions on gatherings, of course, although we do mention the coronavirus as part of the Q&A that takes place after Tom's talk. So look out for that uh, that'll be next up in your podcast feed here on the ask nt write anything podcast find out more about the show in your podcast info or over at asknt.write.com where you can find extra videos bonus content and of course by subscribing to the asknt.write.com newsletter you will of course get updates uh, bonus content and entry into all the prize draws and of course the chance to ask a question yourself so do feel free to do that thank you very much for being with us on today's edition of the show and we'll see you next time you've been listening to the ask nt write anything podcast let other people know about this show by rating and reviewing it in your podcast provider for more podcasts from premier visit premier.org.uk slash podcasts